I'm Anthony Padilla and I'm curious. What would you do if behind every corner there was someone there pointing at you, laughing at you, or even taking your picture without your consent? I spent a day with people with dwarfism who dealt with that reality on a daily basis. We'll uncover the painful truth about limb lengthening and other surgical procedures. And how being seen strictly as a dwarf, a little person, or other derogatory names has impacted their entire lives. Hello, Kara. Kara. Good to see you. And this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Visit betterhelp.com slash Padilla because sometimes existing is exhausting. Now, there are many different words and ways to describe people with dwarfism. What do you prefer? I use dwarf. If you were to say, see me in public and you were curious why I was little, I mm -hmm. would tell you I have a form of dwarfism. Little person is fine. I don't love it. Anytime you put a word little in front of anything, it diminishes. Oh, okay. Midget is a no-go. That's the main one, really. Yeah. Because that, that term comes from the word midge, which is a fly. So you're calling us an insect. As a little person, you hear it all, troll, mm. elf. The most derogatory term would be midget, but mm. even some little people are okay with that. It's more of the way that the term is used. I'm even like offended when people call me a dwarf. Like, mm. look, there's a dwarf. It's the same thing as, look, there's a midget. It makes you feel not human. Can you explain what dwarfism is? So a little person is anybody that's under the five feet that is not proportionate. So for example, you are proportionate. When you sit down, you can put your hands on your derriere. <laughs> Which I do frequently, trust me. I can't reach if I'm sitting straight. Uh, my torso is the same as yours. We're mm. eye to eye. My arms and my legs are shorter. Dwarfism is um, skeletal dysplasia, which means that our cartilage doesn't turn into bone as fast. Average height children grow two to two and a half inches a year. We grow between one and one and a half. When you hit like 13 for girls and 15 or 16 for boys, your growth plates close and that's the end. My kind of dwarfism, achondroplasia, which is the most common form, our arms and legs do not grow as fast. Our bodies are usually average height. How does your day-to-day -day life differ from someone who doesn't have dwarfism? majority of our day-to-day -day life looks just like yours, mm -hmm. except maybe with a couple of stools around. There are things that are slightly more difficult, like, um, let me you show you this. You brought something for us. I did. So this is a pedal extension. So they basically clip onto the pedals, super portable. It takes you about 15 minutes to put them on your car. They can also get you out of some speeding tickets because cops have no idea what these are. <laughs> oh, you're speeding because you have the extra oh my speed gosh, pedal on. caught underneath <laughs> my brake. <laughs> look at it like they have they're like lost in translation is it strictly a height difference or is there are there any health issues or complications that come along with it with every type of little person there's different physical issues that you may incur things that are common are like teeth crowding back surgeries are very common within achondroplasia spinal diffusions are very common bowing of the legs like my legs are pretty bowed i can't mm -hmm. really 
put them together. Mm -hmm. But a lot of little people have way more bowed legs where they may end up having to use a walker or mm -hmm. a cane or have them surgically fixed. Personally for me, I had really bowed legs when I was a kid. Mm. And so they had to straighten them out or else I would have been walking on my ankles. And they still do that now. Actually, it's less gruesome now. They've found better ways. Did of you go through the gruesome process? I went through the gruesome process. What's the gruesome process? They go in and they break your bone. Yeah. And then they cut a chunk out. And then they cut a chunk out of your hip. They set the bone back and put a piece of your hip in it. And then it fuses together so that your leg goes straight. Back then, I had the option of either wearing a full body cast up to mm -hmm. here or have pins sticking out of my legs. They're outside. In, in your leg. They're in your bone. And they're outside. And they're leg. outside. Ooh. Oh my God. And what is the, are you having it tightened or adjusted? They get an Allen key. I'm not even joking. Like your leg is a piece of Ikea furniture? Yeah, they get an Allen key and like turn it. Oh, was there a moment when you first realized that you were different? I was about three and we were at a fair. Mm -hmm and somebody said something, probably involved the word midget. And my uncle's response to it was, if you don't get out of our faces, I'm gonna beat your ass. Uh -huh. And like so much anger. And I was yeah. like, oh, like this is really bad. In the first grade and the teacher said, put all of your hands on your desk and put your feet on the ground. Cute little boy named Clayton. And Clayton raised his hand like a good little boy that he is. But this little girl can't put her feet on the ground. And at that moment, I was like, oh, he's pointing at me. I was like, everybody else can put their feet on the ground. It was such a like revelation for me. But I didn't really think about it because it was never a part of my upbringing. Right. Being raised with another little person. I felt very normal in my entire right. environment. And it wasn't until school mm -hmm. that I felt different. And there were a couple of incidents where one girl picked me up and in the bathroom and shoved me in front of a mirror and said, you're a fucking freak. So mm -hmm. that probably happened to me when I was like six or seven. When I got to Catholic school, that's when it was just torture. I felt like I was living in prison because you were forced to go somewhere where you would face this kind of bullying every single day? Every day, every day. When did you first realize that there was a stigma around dwarfism? Almost immediately after, it was just like a catapult into discovering that people were staring at me more. And that was the moment where I actually like, then all of a sudden I started hearing it. I started listening to it. It's scary at times when you don't know what your future holds because you're so different. You want to be like everyone else. You want to be on the cheer squad. And there's some things that you just can't physically do as a little person. It's not like you see any little people burglars or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really. Your life of crime was was put immediately. No, uh, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Short. Did you grow up in a family where anyone was familiar with dwarfism? No. You know, I came and they were just like, okay, we got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Anyone can have a dwarf child. I believe the number is 80% of dwarfs actually come from average height parents. Mm -hmm. And that's usually the first time average height parents are ever encounter dwarfism because mm -hmm. there's only 90,000 of us mm -hmm. in America. My brother who was five years older than me, took upon himself to be my ultimate defender. I don't think I had it as bad as it could have been. 
because he was always around and he's big and a football mm. player. And whenever he left a school, he'd leave a bodyguard. He would go to some old kid that was younger than him, but older than me and was kind of big. Uh -huh. And he'd go, look, you're my sister's bodyguard while I'm gone. Uh -huh. And so every year, whatever school I was in, some boy would come up to me and be like, I'm your bodyguard this year. So let me know if something happens or someone pops off, I'll take care of it. Your brother sent me. So then I had sort of this layer of protection. How did you deal with that as a child, feeling dehumanized? I ended up having a lot of emotional issues. Mm. I had an eating disorder. I was depressed a lot. I think most dwarfs have PTSD. By the time you're three, you realize that people don't like you, not just don't like you, they think your body is gross. They think your body is a, a, a sideshow. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a mess. This is why, like, my work right now is trying to change the narrative around mm -hmm. disability in general. All of my anger is really directed towards changing the misinformation mm -hmm. and changing the way people think about it. Were you ever angry or resentful about being different? I was ragey angry. For just being For just being, being me. born the way yeah. you Yeah. Like I chose it, which I knew intellectually, I knew I didn't, but it still, like you blame yourself for being different. Kara eight years ago mm -hmm. is a very, very angry person. Kara now is not so angry. I can be angered and I can, I can use that anger, but it's not just this ball of anger. For something you actually had no... And it's okay to be a dwarf. When did you have that realization that being a dwarf is okay? Fully realized that, I would say not until like maybe eight years ago. So you sat most of your life feeling like it was not okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like I came to terms with it. Coming to terms with that, like, it's okay to be a dwarf, mm. is, like, revolutionary because the world tells you you're not okay. What about dating? Was that ever an issue? Oh, like, still an issue. Okay. <laughs> because there's so much fetish. Fetishiz fetishization. 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 It's very hard to figure out who oh. wants to date you for you and who wants to date you because you seem like it'll be an adventure. I hit rock bottom dating this dumb boy who looks mm. just like you, ironically. And I don't have any pictures of him. But very high <laughs> possibility of being very dumb if you look like me. <laughs> Just gonna say it. He was my best friend for two years. Mm -hmm. We started dating. He couldn't handle becoming from my best friend to dating. And it was an emotional roller coaster that I went on, a psychological roller coaster that I went on because I felt inadequate for the first time. The moment that I knew that, that this was gonna be an issue was uh, he wanted to go to a movie. He wanted to sit in the very back. We we went into the theater after it had already started. And all I'm not like registering, like these are red flag, red flag, red flag. He wanted to sit in the far back, like, like the very last seat. And then he wanted to leave before the movie was over. He's like, we should get out of here before the movie's over. He didn't want to be seen with you? He did not want to be seen with me. He was so scared to be seen with me. And that was like that pivotal moment where I was like, oh, you're doing this because I'm little. 
This has nothing to do with you like not liking me. This has everything to do with you caring what other people think. So after we said like, okay, we can't do this. That was when I was like, okay, mom, let's get limb lengthening. That was when I wanted to change for him instead of making him change for me. Limb lengthening is this crazy process where they break your bones and then they, um, every day they turn the screw. It, it basically opens up your um, cartilage and your muscles and stretches mm -hmm. them all. And you do this for one year of your life. That was the point where I was like, I want to look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I remember begging my mom. She said, absolutely not. I hit rock bottom. I was in a total depression. And that was my what my mom was saying. You are not wanting limb lengthening for you. Mm -hmm. You are wanting limb lengthening for somebody else. And when you come to me and say, you want limb lengthening for you, then we can have a real conversation. And she was right. I wasn't wanting limb lengthening for me. I was wanting it for a dumb boy. <laughs> so I changed everything in my life. I uh, went to college, started reading books. I decided I wanted to get in like full time in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, two years later, I move out to California. Bye. <laughs> Many people might think that once you become an adult, you've moved on past the bullying, you know, leave that with the children are the ones that bully. Do you deal with any discrimination in your adulthood? I think every little person does. My husband, we were at this hardware store. A woman kept taking pictures of us. He was like, if she takes one more picture of us, I'm gonna go off on her. And I was just mortified and just totally embarrassed. And the manager got involved because it was that kind of situation. And it turns out she was like, I love little people. They turn me on, I get off to them. And these are the photos that I took. Like who, what? I'm much more vocal about mm. it. And I will, I'll address it head on and tell you to fuck off. And what I like about New York is that when someone is acting inappropriately, if you say fuck off, other um, people will be like, why did she say fuck off? Oh, you're being an asshole. Mm. And then it turns the crowd against them. So if someone's commenting something right now, you would say, fuck off. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Why do you think that prejudice still exists as strongly as it does about people with dwarfism? When you see a little person, it is rare. One in 30,000 is not something that you encounter on a regular basis. And I feel like it's a fascination. It's it's human nature, but there is a, um, a way to handle human nature. My husband was performing last week and somebody was like, I have never come up to someone that is as short as you. And he's like, if you were to ever go up to a redhead and be like, I've never met a redhead. Is that redhead gonna look at you like you're crazy? Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's we are very unintimidating because we're so little. You don't feel like I'm gonna kick your tushy or mm. anything like that. You, you just feel like no matter what happens, it'll be okay. So it's kind of like a power dynamic in a sense where people feel like they can say or do anything because they're not intimidated by you. Sadly, yes. Do you ever deal with having an association of being cute or childlike just because of simply your height? When I was growing up, I remember thinking like the three words that I hated the most were cute, adorable, and precious. Because you immediately feel minute. Mm. And I felt like those words like almost were just as bad as calling me a midget. You were telling me that you know a lot about the history of dwarfism and that it's like no one talks about the history no. of dwarfism. It starts in Egypt, where we were 
demigods. So we were high status. Mm-hmm. We, um, a lot of us were in, were midwives because mm-hmm. of our small hands. And mm-hmm. so that was seen as godlike mm-hmm. just to be able to deliver. And then as time went on, it got worse. And so like once you hit like Renaissance time, the Italian courts were building weird little rooms and they would dress dwarfs and dress them up in tiny court clothes mm. and put them in these tiny rooms that people could come and like view them in. Entertainment, mm-hmm. like look at them dance, whatever. Mm. And then, you know, you flash to P.T. Barnum and the circuses and the sideshows. There was a selling of bodies mm-hmm. for dwarfs. And so they would sell them into these sideshows where they were treated horribly and put on for show. How do you feel about the way dwarfism is portrayed in media? Look at Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay. I'm guessing very beloved within the dwarf community. Not... Being labeled as... As (laughs) grumpy. The the emotions attached to each of you, that's it. That's it. And you're waiting for some white savior lady to show up and clean your house. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like, these are grown men who've been working in the mine. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they got it. From the time you're like two, three years old, that's what you see. And guess what? They're making it again. Do you think people don't know how much stigma is going? Is, is they surrounding? don't because they love it. Uh-huh. Because that's what they grew up with. That, yeah. That's my favorite. I right. love that. We have that. Taika Waititi's making Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory mm. again. Willy Wonka saved the Oompa Loompas and look mm. at them. What would they be without Willy Wonka saving them? Willy Wonka can't um, have the factory without the Oompa Loompas. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. how is he saving it? He's not. They're saving him. He wouldn't be rich with a, a chocolate factory without the Oompa Loompas running his factory. Because he's not running it. What I needed as a kid, I needed someone that looked like me, who was fighting um, for me. So I feel like um, I wasn't given any opportunities in media, and I wanted to be in this entertainment world. I wanted to be a singer, is how I first envisioned my life. I created uh, many impersonations. I did mini Britney, mini Gaga. I would impersonate some of their dance moves, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brittany. Um, (laughs) Moving forward, when I said, you know what, I don't want to impersonate anymore. I want to do something different. Little Women was really that outlet. I wanted to show the world who we were and how we lived life and how we made things possible in our own daily lives. How successful is it? Can you name how successful it's become? We are one of the first reality shows from the United States to be streamed across the world. We were number one in Mexico for three years. And that's like, there were six seasons that went on. Three years, we were number one on the Mexico network. And I think that this success really has a lot to do with our real life situations is what made it so relatable and why it became so popular around the world. Why do you think Little Women has caught on around the world? They gave me a good voiceover. No. Oh, because it's dubbed. Yeah, it's totally dubbed. I have like a really like smoker voice. She's like, eh. Uh." (laughs) Just like here, it's it's a, it's such a rare thing because they don't have that kind of community there. Mm. They don't have a little person community that performs there. Mm. And so I feel like it's, you know, it's the same thing as the side eye. You're Mm. curious. Even to this day, we have all of these reality shows 
that are based on our bodies. Little Women of LA. There was this one time in particular, they went to a restaurant, set the shot at the high tops. For dwarfs, why? So that tells me you don't really care about us. You are fetishizing our bodies under the guise of a story. But it's not really about the story. Mm-hmm. What the story is, is that our bodies are weird. The show itself, definitely, we, anytime there was a challenge, they wanted to do it. Anytime that there was something awkward, they wanted to do it. If you look at, at almost every single one of our scenes, we're like at high bar stools. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? And it's the producers that were smart, and they're really showing like how different it is for us, how different it is for us to climb into a bar stool, how different mm-hmm. it is for us to do things that advertised people wouldn't like blink twice at, but a little person has to struggle with. At the end of the day, like I'm grateful for everything that that show did because it really taught a lot of the world that different is just as cool as average. Some people might think that making something all about the fact that this person is different is exploitative. It's highlighting the way that they're different and making the conversation about that. And you know I can't go without thanking BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Therapy has helped reframe my view of the world and of myself by allowing me to feel empathy for my younger self and therefore understand who I am today better. But therapy can be customized to whatever's right for you and can be useful in helping with motivation or feelings of depression, anxiety, stress, insecurity, or whatever else you might need. BetterHelp screens all their therapists to ensure that they have experience and that they're certified and licensed and provides customized therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone or speak over the phone if that's not something that you're comfortable with. As you may have found out by now, therapy can be expensive and the price of finding a therapist that you like and that you connect with can be overwhelming, which is why BetterHelp offers a more affordable alternative to in-person therapy, where you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. So thank you to BetterHelp, who are giving I Spent a Day with viewers and listeners of the podcast 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Padilla. That's betterhelp.com slash Padilla. Now, back to the world of people with dwarfism. Some people might think that making something all about the fact that this person is different is exploitative. In the entertainment industry, this is such a 50-50 conversation. Mm -hmm. Why is there little people doing elf jobs? Why is there little people doing these other derogatory jobs? Now those jobs don't exist. Mm -hmm. Those jobs are CGI'd. Those jobs are just short people. A lot of people are scared to offer those jobs to little people because they're scared that they're gonna be offending us. At the end of the day, this was how I was making my livelihood. And those kinds of jobs have completely gone away. Now, while that is great in the little person community, for the entertainment world that is in the little person community, it becomes a lot harder. Then you're trying out for the jobs that the directors already have a vision of an advertised person. Why take that away when it's technically at the end of the day, you're acting? If there's anyone watching who has dwarfism and maybe feels insecure because of the stigma surrounding dwarfism and dealt with similar struggles that you dealt with growing up, is there anything you want to say to them? All the information that's coming at you that you're less than, it's not you. It's the way society has been set up and you are experiencing the inequality and the violence because of the way society is set up, but it's not your fault. And so don't punish yourself for any of it. Understand that it's an an external source. It's not you that's like this. 
giving yourself daily affirmations, even if it just means one, like pick one tiny little thing that you like about yourself and you really try and feel energy towards things that you're happy about, whether it be physical or internal. And you have to instill that in yourself and really affirmations, meditation, that's truly how I created a different mindset to where I was able to create the life of my dreams. It's okay to be different mm -hmm. and it's okay to succeed as someone that is different. Mm -hmm. And you can, you have the ability to succeed even though you're different. I spent today with people with dwarfism. And one thing that really sits with me is how the feelings of being celebrated versus being exploited can be entirely different from one person to another, even within the same community. Everyone is an individual. And like Tara said, we look different, but so does everybody else. And I want to learn how to drive stick. You should, oh my gosh, we should try. You should, do you know how to drive stick? No. <laughs> Every time I tell them I want to drive stick and then I show them my pedal extensions, everybody has a quick. Mm. I don't, I maybe, maybe um, tomorrow, <laughs> maybe tomorrow. Yeah, I, I have to, I have, I have plans that day. I bought an extra pedal just so I could learn how to drive stick and uh, nobody has been willing to teach me how. You just yeah, you just hop in my car and give it a whirl. We'll see what happens. I'm totally fine with that. No, I tried to, I tried to drive stick one time and almost destroyed my friend's car. So uh, we would be in the same boat. I think we both need to go learn how to drive stick. Perfect. Yeah.